Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. Today we're talking about what constitutes urgency or, to use the layman term, an emergency in family law. And so a lot of people call you and I, Leanne, and oftentimes they say it's an emergency. And we have to try to fit the square peg in a square hole. And that is what we're going to be talking about today, is what constitutes an emergency or an urgent motion in family law. So Leanne, why don't you tell me about one of your many experiences with dealing with a client emergency and how you framed it for the benefit of the judges? Um, well, certainly this is something that comes up uh, fairly often because I think a lot of our clients, when they're going through their family law matter, they're under enormous stress and they're in distress. And, you know, certainly all of the issues are urgent or an emergency to the client. But unfortunately, what a client thinks is an emergency and what a judge or a court thinks is an emergency are often not the same things. Now, um, I've had some clients where I've successfully been able to have a court uh, deem something an an urgent motion or an emergency. And those types of situations have happened where I have a client who perhaps isn't getting any parenting time at all. The other party is completely denying all parenting time altogether. And so I've been successful in filing an urgent motion and having the court hear it. And in those types of cases, generally the court will award some type of parenting time because it's uh, highly unusual for a court to agree that a parent should not have any parenting time at all. What, you know, maybe it might be supervised, maybe it might be limited, um, or maybe it, it might be shared or something else, depending on the circumstances. So I've had some success in those types of situations. Um, I've also brought an urgent motion where there was a concern that um, one of the part, the other party, uh, the adverse party was going to be depleting money or moving money out of the country and things like that. And so for financial reasons, in order to um, freeze the assets, um, I've been successful in, in having an emer- emergency motion uh, granted and then had success on the motion. How about you? Steve? Right. So for the benefit of our viewers, I just want to give you some historical context. Prior to 1997, um, we did not have family law rules for the court process. Prior to 1997, family court matters followed the rules that applied to all civil cases, whether it was personal injury, construction lien, real estate, wrongful dismissal, and so forth. Prior to the family law rules, when people came and hired a lawyer and said there was an emergency, um, or quite frankly, even without using the word emergency, one of the first steps that people would take in family court is by bringing a motion for some order, whether the order was for exclusive possession of the home or a restraining order or non-depletion of family assets or parenting issues, custody access back then. Then in 1997, the family law rules were introduced and rule 17 and rule 14 specifically provided that you are not permitted to bring a motion before you have a case conference. 
The idea being that a case conference was going to be the opportunity for everybody to come to court and meet with a judge for the first time, where the judge could hopefully navigate the family in the direction of resolution without filing motions and affidavits that made accusations against the other party. Within the rule, they allowed for this small little window that said, if the matter is urgent, you can bring a motion before a case conference. Well, that was interpreted by the judges over the last 25 years to be that it would have to be a severe emergency, not even what we all consider an emergency. For somebody who has lived with their children every day of their lives, and all of a sudden their spouse is restricting their time with the children to only two or three times a week, for them, that's an emergency. Um, for them, allowing the child to be on, the, on, on social media until two in the morning when they don't believe in social media, that's an emergency for them. Um, but the judges have been very, very restrictive. And then came COVID, where the courts were pretty much barred from everybody. And then they tightened the rules of what is an urgent motion even more. And it made it very, very difficult for us lawyers to get in front of a judge because the judges really restricted what, is, what constitutes an emergency or an urgent motion. And so as we speak today, there's very little room to getting in front of a judge on an emergency. And even so, the process in most courts in Ontario require us to first try to um, reduce or eliminate the emergency through direct communication with the other side. And then if that doesn't work, you can request an urgent motion. And what the judges generally do now is if they deem it to be urgent, oftentimes they will grant an emergency or urgent case conference where they just simply move your date up. And if they can't resolve it in a case conference, then they might allow an urgent motion. So to your question, Leanne, in my history, I've had many emergency motions. Uh, the most common is husband comes home from work. There's no children. There's no wife. And all of the children's and wife's belongings are gone with a little note or a letter from a lawyer that says she's moved out and we're prepared to allow access on Wednesdays and Saturdays for a few hours and my client is shocked and we bring an emergency motion because this is unfair, untenable and requires a legal remedy. Another one is, I had a case a few years ago uh, before COVID where the father came into my office and said, not only is she not home, I got a text message from her that she's in Russia. So we brought an emergency motion and fortunately we got the child back in Canada and back in his care. Um, and of course, just like you, Leanne, there's been cases where people are playing around with money, moving assets around, transferring them out, liquidating assets, um, possibly putting them in the names of other people. And in all of those situations, the first call of action is to have a lawyer write to that personal letter saying, if, if you don't continue, if you do continue and you don't bring everything and put everything back the way it was before you moved all these assets around, we have no choice other than to bring an emergency motion. And that letter, by the way, is a very good key to get an emergency motion because if the letter is well crafted and invites the person to resolve it quickly and out of court, then, uh, and the person still doesn't do that, 
then a judge is more likely to grant an emergency motion and deal with it. And in some cases I've seen in the last few years, when we ask for the, the order, not even ask for the emergency motion, we just ask for the order, a judge will just make a mutual non-depletion order or a mutual preservation order and say, you know, I don't need to hear all of you guys. Just whatever you're doing, stop doing it. And that's it. Um, and so these are types or examples of emergency motions. And the last one that I've seen is where people have a separation agreement that says this is supposed to happen. Like, for example, if one parent wants to travel with a child and the passports have to be released to the traveling parent and the person who's holding the passports simply doesn't release the passports and there's a trip in a couple of days, that's another example of an emergency motion ordering that the passports are to be released. Other than that, there's very few cases that can squeeze in as an emergency, um, but you never know. Sometimes what's an emergency to a judge is not an emergency to a client and vice versa. And sometimes we lawyers have to filter and screen what we think we might be able to convince a court to allow in as an emergency. Yes, and on that note, I think, you know, that's where as lawyers we have to be mindful of our, you know, our professional reputation, our reputation with a court or with a particular judge. We don't want to be frivolously um, bringing emergent or, or emergency motions or urgent motions on every single matter, you know, just because a client might want us to, if in our professional opinion, this is not going to constitute urgency or emergency to a court. And, you know, perhaps because we've, you know, done, tried in the past, or perhaps, you know, we just know from the case law that it's not going to meet the criteria, then we have a responsibility and a duty to, you know, advise our client that that's not the route to go. There could be a cost consequence if they do so. And, and also it undermines our own professional reputation, which hurts the client too, because if they're, if they're, if your lawyer doesn't have good credibility um, with other lawyers and with the, the, the bench, that ultimately can hurt your case too. So that's why we don't just, you know, blindly bring them in every single case when a client wants us to. We have to look at it and, and decide in our own minds, you know, does this meet the criteria? Are we going to be able to establish, you know, credibly to accord a basis for this? And so to wrap up, and everything Leanne and I have said um, is subject to a set of facts that come to us, allowing us to judge what really does indeed constitute an emergency or not. And that really leads to the conclusion, which is that there are lawyers in Ontario who practice in a variety of areas of law. They might do real estate and personal injury and civil litigation and family law. And then there are lawyers that specialize in family law and who have either been successful in bringing emergency motions forward or have been observant of when judges do not allow a matter to go before a judge because they deemed it to not be an emergency. And that's where if you are in that type of situation, you really want to get the expertise of somebody that is familiar with the court process, specifically the family court process, because not only will that lawyer know what constitutes an emergency or not, but that lawyer will also figure out how to problem solve around it because there may be other avenues that could be invoked to address it. Sometimes it's Children's Aid Society. Sometimes it's the police. Sometimes it's dealing directly with financial institutions. So a family law lawyer who has expertise in family law will be able to guide the client and hopefully address their emergency 
without potentially even having to go to court. But if they do go to court, to properly frame the case so that the judge knows, yes, it's Ms. Townsend's motion. She would never bring a matter if it wasn't truly an emergency. So we're going to grant her that hearing. And that's why it's critical that you get proper advice and not rely on this little IG live to determine that your case is or is not an emergency. You do need independent legal advice who will objectively assess the circumstances to determine whether what you have indeed is an emergency. Well said. Thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks, Steve. And uh, we will see everyone back here again next week on Divorce Explained. Thank you, everyone. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.